this story? If so, go over to kickstarter.com, type in Eternal Kingdom, and there you can find out how you can be a character in this book. And now, Eternal Kingdom, Chapter 6. Robbie's heart fell to the floor after Rose left. All of the air seemed to leave the room on the trail of her flowing skirt. He had explained Micah's offer to her. He admitted he was still grappling with the idea himself. Somehow, knowing her cancer was terminal, he nevertheless made the same offer to her. She hadn't reacted angrily like he had at Ray. She hadn't laughed or suggested a CAT scan like she should have. Instead, she walked away, taking every molecule of oxygen out of the room with her. As her perfume lingered, he was left with the dreaded feeling that he would never see her again. Robbie's cell phone rang and the text from Helen came through. My attorney has advised me not to contact you, but I just wanted you to know that I'm doing all of this because I love you. The talk show money, the book offer, and declaring you unfit to manage our finances is the only way to properly take care of you now. I love you, darling. Robbie showed Ray the text. She wants you to text back so she can use your written response against you and have you committed. Robbie balled his fists. It's all for show now, isn't it? He looked to Ray for confirmation. The formal announcements to the press, the interviews, the emails to our friends, the meetings with the rugby club. It's all to make it out like she loves me. She's doing whatever everyone thinks she should do in this situation. She's never even been here to see me since the doctor said I'd never play again. She hasn't spent one night here with me. Ray had little advice to give Robbie. He wanted to comfort him, but there weren't any words. Did you get the statement from the doctors? Robbie asked, hoping for some kind of good news. That's the bright spot, mate. You've been declared mentally fit as a fiddle thanks to our Rose. Ray smiled, sounding more chipper than he should have. Robbie scowled. He didn't like the sound of our when it came to Rose. His uncomfortable reaction was both surprising and annoying. It left him in a loathing mood as he began to stretch before his leg therapy. Ray left him to brood. Ray walked down the hall and placed a call into Micah. I'm going to need some help if you want the golden boy. What have you got to sweeten the deal? Micah had learned by watching his father. He would sit for hours under the leather-topped table in his father's office, listening. His father made nothing, nor serviced anything. Instead, he just moved money. When money shifted, so did the power in any situation. Micah remembered this as he listened to Ray. He was slowly beginning to dislike the all-star manager, but he was necessary in the grand scheme. Send me all of the account records, everything you have from both of them. If Robbie signs the contract tonight, I'll make sure his wife's assets are frozen by morning. Ray was short and curt as he answered. Fine. You were hoping for something more mm, lucrative? Micah mused. Are you looking to sweeten the deal for Robbie or for you? One hour, Ray answered and hung up. Walking all the way to the hospital chapel, Ray found a quiet place out of earshot of anyone and made a second call. Meet me at the hotel in 20 minutes. Rose unlocked the door to her apartment. 
she threw the mail and her keys onto the side table and found herself in the comfort of her overstuffed couch. Her stomach growled, but she ignored it. Eating was pointless when she thought about it. She lay there for hours, staring at the ceiling as thoughts played out like a movie, stuttering in a disjointed collage. There was Anne's face, a longtime medical colleague, staring at her from the other side of the desk. Rose was not inclined to being a patient. Being a patient required being still, and accepting news that she didn't want to hear. She watched Anne's lightly glossed lips form the words cancer and inoperable. There was some mental vast chasm between the formation of the word and what it meant. Rose blinked, staring at Anne's mouth, and part of her thought she was hearing another language. Laying on the couch, she realized her protective, logical self was shielding her from the devastating news. The mind was strange and wonderful. Logic reasoned that if she didn't know what the words meant, she couldn't be afraid of them. But the wall of logic was turning from stone to thin paper, and the dam of watery emotion was soaking and seeping through the fragile wall that protected her from her dark reality. The levy that it held for weeks, as she mechanically prepared paperwork and handed off patients, was breaking. The floodgates broke and rose, and like any flood, it swept away everything in its path. The tidal wave washed over her, breaking the foundations of who she was, how she perceived the world, and her role within it. To fathom dying young was so unfair and wrong that it left her disconsolate. Rose punched the couch. She threw the morning's cold cup of coffee out her small balcony, smashing the cup as it hit the iron bars. She jumped on her treadmill and ran frantically, madly, erratically running nowhere as tears poured down her face. When the sobbing and the tantrum had rendered her exhausted, Rose threw herself onto the couch again. She couldn't sleep. Was that right? No. She was afraid to sleep. What if Anne, in all of her kindness and empathy as both doctor and friend, had given her the best-case scenario? What if there was less time? Anger reared its ugly head, but Rose was too tired this time. She wanted to fight, but her opponent was incurable. She let the meaning of the words soak into her, deeper and deeper. Anne wanted her to surrender. No knife could cut out the tumors. No chemical poured into her body could melt the cancer. The monster that devoured her good tissue drank up the oxygen she breathed, took in the nutrients she ate, and turned around and used it to kill her faster every day. The monster inside grew stronger while she weakened. Her only consolation was that, in the end, she would take it down with her. When she breathed her last, so too would the monster. If only she could be awake, have some kind of consciousness awarded to her to listen to the monster in its death throes. Rose smiled ever so slightly at the thought of the monster suffering and being there to see it. Like a trickle of hope, as fragile as a seedling in the spring thunderstorm, Rose thought of Robbie. Madness took up residency as it replaced surrender or acceptance or anything else that Anne proposed. Rose dug her phone out of her therapy bag and dialed the number. There is a private gym in my apartment complex. Check yourself out of the hospital tonight. 
have Ray bring you here. I will have you standing in a week if it kills us both. Tell them to send two contracts. I'm in. What's wrong? You sounded upset on the phone, Helen asked, sounding more angry than concerned. The accountant didn't offer money, Ray said frantically. In fact, he's about to separate what's yours and what's Rob's. Ray was emptying the drawers in the closet of Helen's hotel room, throwing the contents into two small suitcases. Helen looked on, cool and calm. So let him separate them. I'll sue him for whatever does not end up on my side. He's having your accounts frozen. Pull out just enough to stay out of sight and get the hell out of here. Helen sat down in a comfortable chair of her hotel suite and watched Ray flit from one corner of the room to the other. Don't just sit there. Get moving, woman. Don't you understand? He'll connect us. He'll figure out that I'm the one who got you those spots. He hasn't figured it out now, but he will. Helen remained still. Why do I care? I have public statements with every major news channel and paper, stating my undying devotion as to the well-being of my husband. Come to think of it, the only one who will look like a traitor is you. I've made sure to send all the receipts of your paychecks and their inflated amounts as of late to my accountant. He's ready to leak it to every press agency and sports coverage all over the world. So you see, Ray, I'm not going anywhere. Rose smoothed out her running jacket and fixed the notch in her ponytail. She stared at her swollen eyes in the mirror and applied a dollop of concealer. Two days of crying and ignoring her grumbling stomach had made her gaunt and tired looking. She took a deep breath and reassured her reflection. An all-star rugby player, a major league scout, and a vampire walk into your apartment. She laughed at the ludicrous joke. You can do this, she told herself. The pep talk was cut short by a knock at the door. The three familiar men stared at her as she opened the door. Robbie wheeled himself in first, followed by Ray. Micah stood and waited. Are you coming? Rose asked. That's close enough to an invitation, I suppose, Micah complained. Rose turned to shut the door and a very strong hand pushed the door back at her. The force of the push nearly knocked the weakened Rose to the floor. Forgive me for being late. May I come in? Ruth asked, opening the door wider to surprise Rose. Micah smiled and welcomed Ruth in over the threshold. Rose looked concerned as she looked at Robbie. Upon meeting Ruth, Rose was suddenly afraid. Her instinct was suddenly to run out of the apartment, but her protective side wouldn't leave Robbie. They all sat at the small dining room table. As Micah handed contracts, plane tickets, and information packets to Rose and Robbie, Ruth took in her surroundings. Rose watched her do so uncomfortably. Ruth's eyes eventually met hers, and smiling pompously, Ruth declared, "'Simple, but tasteful.' Rose looked at her with disdain. Never underestimate the great things that come from humble beginnings. In the background, the men were talking logistics and flight schedules to Detroit, but abruptly stopped as the two women began to raise their voices. So, you intend to become something great in all of this? Ruth challenged. I'm the most powerful piece on the board. Yes, I intend to win, Rose countered. The game is only won when the pieces work together, 
and your self-serving attitude might just be the undoing of your king, Ruth warned. She leaned in closer as the three men looked on incredulously. And remember, it is all about the king in the end. Your power means nothing. If he dies, you all die. And I think I shall truly enjoy watching Cadell as he directs his pieces to tear off your limbs before they kill you. Rose stared back, unflinching. "'Which reminds me,' Ruth said confidently. "'You two will be given a stipend, "'and you have three weeks to find the rest of your team and your game master. "'Hopefully your master can control the queen better than the king can,' "'she spat, giving Robbie a venomous stare. "'Micah shifted in his chair and pulled on his tie. "'Ray, I didn't receive any further documentation last night, "'so I assume the present contract meets your standards?' All set, <clears throat> hedged Ray. Micah glanced at Robbie, looking confused, but handed him and Rose each a pen. As soon as the contracts were signed, Ruth was a blur, leaving her seat and closing Rose's apartment door with a slam. Micah and Ray exhaled, but Robbie burst into a roaring belly laugh. He leaned over and wrapped his bear-like arms around Rose and gave her a squeeze. That was excellent. This game might not be so boring after all. Eternal Kingdom is written by Michelle Roger. This book is edited by Brendan McWilliams. Sound engineered by Steve Nett of Computer Room Services. Graphic novel drawn by Tom Duncan. Music composed, performed, and recorded by Michelle Roger.